Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorkin, and with me, as always, is a man who would totally drain an entire lake for his kid. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and that's how we catch the fish, my man. <laughs> I like that, that, that. What a proposal that is! Like it's like, well, you know what we could do? We could destroy this entire environment so we can get a lot of fish. Now, mind you, we so only have a limited fish. amount that we can personally eat, but we want to catch all of them. That's why. That's why fish preservation exists, man. Throw them in your salt barrels. You got fish for years. I and after that, you got carom. So you're all good. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, if that's okay with you. Is that okay? It's fine, I guess. All this right. time. Head over to patreon.com slash lost in criterion. You help keep us going for as little as a dollar a month. For that dollar, you get access to some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film over there every month, and our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. So I put together that list, or sometimes I use lists that our supporters suggest. And isn't that fun? No, it's actually really fun because uh, usually when that happens, we invite the, the person who suggests the list on the episode, and it's great to talk with somebody about a movie they really love. Those lists are always four choices, and the fifth choice is always Kazam from 1996, that Shaquille O'Neal movie that uh, isn't— We all remember fondly. Yeah, that everyone remembers exactly the same. All of our $1 supporters really help keep us going, and we're very happy to have all of them. Um, but we do have a couple tiers above it. For folks who uh, can afford it and want to help us keep going a little bit, a little bit more. $5. We'd like to thank all those folks on air. So thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Eric Cordonado, Chris Otto, Andrew Jarrett, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Thank you. All above that, at $10 and above, our highest tier, we do something pretty dang special. Once a month, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note for all of our $10 and above supporters. We also like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to Nina Bajnak, Tracy McGrath, Patrick Yako, Adam Speakerman, and Jason Westaver. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lawson Criterion there, and you can see the past postcards and you can buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as stickers, uh, as magnets, as pins. Uh, working on at least one t-shirt by special request that'll probably stick around in the store thank you to everybody who has purchased anything from the red bubble uh yeah it's been really nice to to have pat's art out in the world in a way that that people can regularly see it if they want to or just stumble upon it uh i that's really, the ideal situation somebody yeah. stumbles upon it it feels slightly uncomfortable and then leaves <laughs> well I mean, that's probably normal given our sales numbers, but people stumbling upon it and and feeling good about it enough to purchase something also happens fairly often. So, uh, you know, you can be proud about that too, Pat. I know you're Midwestern. You don't like to feel pride. I don't feel pride. But 
but you should feel a little bit of pride here. Good and news. It's okay. I the, the original image of the one we're talking about is originally a vector file, so it can be as big as I want it to oh, be. Oh, awesome. There we go. Yeah, super easy. All right. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, we got to finish this. <laughs> we got to finish no, the page. Never. <laughs> no, got to. Um, so thank you so much to everybody who has uh, purchased anything from a Redbubble, to everybody who supports us on Patreon, and thank you so much to you for listening. We love you. Yes, we deeply. do. Pat, this week we are finishing up the second half of our Ozu box set. Yeah. Oh, is this really Last only week. two movies in this box set? I did not yeah. realize that, actually. Yeah. Uh, the box set's literally two films by Yasuhiro Ozu. Feels like uh, less of a box set and more of just could have just... Feels like they're stretching <laughs> the definition of box set now. I love... I love... We're we're still on the point... I mean, listen, there's no consistency to numbering box sets within the no. Criterion Collection as a whole. Uh, so we are still on the point where the box set itself has a release spine number, and right. then both films that are in the box set have release spine numbers. <laughs> it's just it's very silly, especially considering that both of these are ninety minute movies with less than ninety minutes of bonus features between them. So uh, yeah, I mean they it's not could even just be yeah. like a one disc release. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like, what I'm saying is like maybe yeah. maybe you put two DVDs in there to make it feel special. Right, right, but neither of those DVDs yeah. would be full. I will say I'm always happy when Criterion Collection doesn't give us multiple films on this on a single spine number, because yes, that yeah. that does happen about a dozen times over the course of the collection, and it's always uh, always a surprise to us when we have an extra two hours of material that we have to talk about right. because well, there's especially, another movie on the disc. Yeah, especially when like I don't really pay attention to like what you tell me the week before. And I don't plan ahead, and I sit down on, like, Saturday afternoon to watch the movie, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I have four and a half hours of movie to watch. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm very uh, much fucked up now. But, yeah. Last week we talked about The Only Son, which was uh, one of the final movies Ozu made before he was drafted and sent to China. Over the course of World War II, he was drafted twice. First to be sent to China, he finished his tour there, came back home, Made a couple of movies, including this week's movie, There Was a Father, which came out in 1942. And then he was drafted again and sent to Singapore, which we talked a little bit. We've talked at length, I think, about in the past period, uh, but we did talk about last week as well. Uh, while in Singapore, he basically did nothing but watch American movies, <laughs> watch right. Citizen Kane, uh, and was conscripted to work on a film a biopic of an anti-British imperialism uh, uh, Indian nationalist whose name I cannot recall. Uh, and he worked a little bit on that film, but then when the war ended, he destroyed all everything. Right. Uh, that. So, yeah. Um, which I think is the biggest... The biggest hint that Yo Ozu wasn't uh, wasn't interested in making Japanese propaganda films was the fact that as soon as he didn't have to do it anymore, he destroyed everything right, about right. it. But yeah, I mean, we don't have a that, lot of evidence one yeah, way or the other, but that does is, seem to point to that. There is another possibility uh, that you know we could read that as uh, him seeing the writing on the wall and being scared that if U.S. censors coming in saw whatever he had recorded here 
A, it was never going to be released anyway, and B, maybe he would not be able uh, allowed to make it other movies. Uh, I could see a reality where that happened, but that's not the feel I get from the facts. I think right. I think Ozu just didn't didn't like this movie and didn't want it to be seen. Um, and you know, being a biopic about someone else, uh, a nationalist, uh, uh, an Indian nationalist, uh, it's outside of Ozu's normal wheelhouse of you know movies about Japanese families. So right, right. Uh, there are reasons he wouldn't wouldn't want it to be seen beyond the political. So yeah. Uh, but there was a father. This week's film came out in 1942, and as such is the closest thing we come to out of any Ozu film we've seen, certainly. Uh, out of any of that we've seen, I mean. Um, but possibly just out of his entire catalog. The closest we come to an Ozu makes a war propaganda film. Right, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the... Um... The the people on our on our in the uh, sort of bonus materials today kind of talk about this as is is kind of only pro- a propa- truly propaganda film that we can like get access to. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, it is. This is an interesting movie. This is a very, you know. Ozu's a really odd person in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. That we've spent a lot of time in this podcast kind of trying to get to grips with because, like, he very much does seem to believe in, like, the importance of family. Yeah. And, like, in the sort of its place in society. Uh, but it's hard to get a feel for what he exactly feels about what would be considered, like, at the time sort of traditional family archetypes, right? Like right. he because we find like in every movie post war, he just gets progressively more sort of enthralled with the idea of like we need to like let go of these old ideas, right? Yeah. Um or at least like allow them space to expand and change and become more adapted right. to the to the world around us. It's awesome. And that, I think it's also important to point out that none of the examples of families we've seen in his earlier work, especially, but but even really in his later work, are complete traditional families. Like you know, no, somebody's always, always somebody's one, missing or one missing wrong, parent yeah. or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So well, and, and to a certain extent, right? That that plays into like I mean the the. The, again, the bonus materials talk briefly about the idea that he grew up essentially with an absentee father, right? Um, and and that would have been he would not have been certainly the only one, right? Like, unless you were a, you know that that is not an uh, was not an uncommon occurrence, right? Between in sort of at that time, given sort of the roles of fathers in societies, it, 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 that wouldn't have not have been the most like wildly unusual situation right um but i don't this movie is interesting because i i understand why it is labeled a a propaganda film like i i can understand that like it but even then some of its overtones seem to imply a sort of second level of meaning that like maybe was too subtle to not to be a reason you know like obviously the the japanese sort of film 
censorship board and stuff, they like liked this film, right? Like they, they this was promoted. Right. Um, right. But I'm starting to get, I get some vague vibes that sort of like, like the, where we encounter that sometimes with the Nazis where you're like, wait a minute, like what? You guys didn't know that this is like, right. Maybe not a hundred percent on your side. Like uh, when we've encountered right. some of the films that were made in like France and stuff at the time. Um, because like it's it's worth noting that the movie has a strong focus on the importance of uh, uh, filial piety, right? Which is a which goes hand in hand with Japanese na- like nationalism and Japanese right. fascism, and which also sort of traces back to like you know neo uh, Confucianism, which is sort of a perverted version of which is what sort of f- uh, is the foundation of uh, Imperial Japan's sort of ideology system, right? A sort of yeah taking what was the sort of the some of the ideas that were prevalent in the during the sort of the end of the uh Chauvinol period and sort of twisting them and bending them a little bit well actually quite a bit but also not as much because you know those were also that time was also a pretty fucked up time obviously but like yeah. um in, in terms of like people's roles in society and stuff but like Filial piety is, in it, is a fundamental core concept in Imperial Japan, right? The idea, of like, and and this movie talks about, and all and all people dem- in this film demonstrate that virtuously, quote unquote, right? Like, right? They like nobody, like nobody talks back, you know. Nobody is, you know, uh, you know, it's not about a rebellious child. It's about a Yohei does what his father says. He's saddened by it, but he does it, right? But yeah. The the end of the movie, and I think this is is noticeable is that like his now wife sees it as sad and pitiful. Mm-hmm. And like he does not seem the the sort of sacrifices he's been asked to make by his father by not spending time with his father clearly hurt him. Yes, and and for like and and it makes the movie it makes the movie much more complex than I would s- normally expect from a quote unquote straight propaganda film. Right, right. It's not. It's not just about that fealty. Right. It's, uh, you know, and whatever metaphor we could draw on that of respect for the father and respect for the country. Right. Well, and those are supposed to be inter- you know, so the idea right. of like sort of with with sort of traditional neo well even even in this new version of uh, neo-confucianism that you sort of see here the idea is you can extend the idea of respect for father up to respect for emperor and respect for right country they can all be analogous to each other and so you know being disrespectful to one is being seen as disrespectful to all of them right it's maybe interesting that this is a movie that Ozu worked on for a really long time. So in his childhood, as Pat already mentioned, uh, you know, through, through his young adult life, his father was working away from his family uh, for, I think, a decade. He, he really did not see his dad at all. Uh, and his father died shortly before Ozu wrote the first draft of this film in 1937. Uh, And then basically, right after he finished the first draft of this film, he 
was drafted. And he gets back to Japan, and then he makes two movies, and this is one of them. And he's made, and obviously in that point, you know, he's making films in a very different atmosphere uh, than he had made films previously, because of the the fascist government is full swing now, uh, and every movie's got to be show that fealty to <laughs> to the government, right? To, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is the to the emperor sort of defining. Uh, sort of element of yeah. this of society at the time, right? Right. You're not you can't make you can't make a politically challenging film in this atmosphere and have it released. And this is not a politically ch- challenging film even really subtly. Well, I, you've, you've established there are there are subtle I, I think there are it. subtle yeah. digs at yes. the idea that this is a good way to construct your society. Like yeah, I I, think that's I, I cannot help but feel that this movie is not straight through just pure propaganda. Like in the way that they would probably want it to be. Because there's no way anyone who watches this movie gets to the end and, like, doesn't feel sad alongside your head, right? Right. Like, right. You're, you're supposed to. And the fact that you feel... And he's told not to cry about this, and he doesn't, right? He follows all the way through to the end, right? But, like, uh, you know, he is... This was a sad life. Yeah. And... and the idea that it was a good life doesn't negate the fact that it was a sad life. He finished the first draft of this shortly after The Only Son came out. Uh, and there's a lot of similarities structurally or specific scenes, like the entire math class scene. You know, they're they're not the same scenes from The Only Son and this, but they're very similar. And our, you know, our main character here, our father here, our titular father, uh, also plays a teacher a math teacher in the previous movie, a math teacher who leaves his teaching job uh, right. for different reasons in The Only Son uh, and two different ends as his math teacher character in The Only Son uh, ends up with multiple children, is running a restaurant um, in the end, uh, or the next time we see him, I guess, since he's not really a main character in that movie. Right, uh, right, yeah. But, but the only son is, you know, we talked about the political nature of the only son last week. You know, it's about a single mother. It's about how Japanese progress is built on female sacrifice, basically. Right, right. right? Uh, and how that does not leave the women <laughs> in in a great emotional position either, right? Um, the ending of the only son is pretty bleak. Uh, right. And, uh, and you can sort of see, like... This one is much later, right? But this is, in some ways, a sort of um, uh, meant to be a sort of mirror study on the opposite version yeah. of that. That like, and it kind of is getting at, and, and you know, I mean, like maybe I I may be going overboard, okay? Because like, I want to like this film without also liking Japanese war propaganda, which is right. kind of a challenge, right? But like. It feels like this is sort of an answer to it. Like, well, this kind of this system also sucks for everybody. <laughs> like, kind of, kind of like uh, almost response to that, where it's like, yeah, I mean, it being built on the on the backs of the sacrifices of women, it is especially bad for women, which is a thing that like Ozu clearly acknowledges throughout his entire career, but seems to want to also point out from time to time, like this system just sucks, like straight up, top to bottom, <laughs> bad for everyone. Nobody wins in this system. Part of that propaganda aspect is that this is also the least feminist 
Ozu that movie is definitely we've ever true. seen. Yes. Right? That part is extreme. And that's where you can, I, I feel like you can most clearly see the hand of like sort of the censorship machine, right? Is that like, yeah. essentially the women in this film cannot even be people. They just don't exist. Right. And his answer yeah. most of the time to that problem seems to be, well, I'll just kill them all. There just won't be any. Right. Uh, and then Which the closest, is, you know, and the closest we get is, um, I guess Fumiko, I think is her name, at the end, yes. who who does, is the character that points out to us essentially how much this fucking sucks. Right. Right. I mean, it's just tears. She's not even on camera. But, like, yeah. she's, she's meant to, I think, in a certain way, act as sort of our sounding board as the audience to be like, this is this is the feeling you should have. This is the feeling right. he should have. Right. Right. He doesn't, but here it is. And she's allowed to do it because she's a woman and she's not considered important in the movie. By right. by anybody. The the censors or any or the movie even itself, right? She's right. a side character essentially. She's just a a thing to denote that he fulfilled all the promises that he made out of filial piety and like he's even going to marry Fumiko. Right. Yes. And I think I think that's where where we could argue that Ozu slips something through is that while uh while the censor board isn't going to read Fumiko the way we've read Fumiko. Uh I find it hard to believe that Ozu does not mean her in that way. No, I I, Ozu, I buy in, Ozu I buy is, I am buying what I yeah. am selling here. <laughs> Let's yeah. be very clear. Ozu Ozu is very interested in uh, the feelings and the emotional the emotional reality of right. women in his films and in his society. Uh, you know, maybe and the, he, and the he, fact he, that the government and the in the censorship board does not is not something he seems to think is very relevant. Like other than right. just being able to keep making the films, right? Like to keep making right. them. There's no there's no one to one metaphor of like our father in this movie to the Japanese government, right? It's not it's not a metaphorical movie. The things he does to his no. son are not are not they are the in service for of, doing that, them. of that system. Yes. Right. And they that's, are just in I, service of the system. Right. And 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 they're in sort of a sort of sense of blind service of the system, right? Like the the father right. does not question this system. Like the father at a couple of times acknowledges that like, oh, yes, it would be certainly would be nice if we could spend time together. It's his fealty to the system that causes all of this. Like right. even other people around him are all like, you don't have to stop being a teacher. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Nobody's making yeah, this you do was this. A, yeah. yeah. This was a tragedy, but you don't, you know, tragedy. It was also an accident. Right. You know, it wasn't it's well, not like you murdered the kid. Uh, and, and to a certain extent in a really roundabout way the father sort of acknowledges towards the end of his life at the end of the movie towards the end of the movie that like he failed and and it's meant to be that he failed at like being a teacher but he also failed at like the thing he said which is like following through with your path right like right the dad basically gave up and ran away because he couldn't deal with what he what what had happened on his watch right like he he chickened out and now he's trying to raise a son that is not going to chicken out right yeah i suppose in in that regard that's maybe why the father has to die as far as this goes as a propaganda film because he, he did he didn't blindly uh, <laughs> blindly pursue his duty 
right, uh, right. the son has, even as his duty is just to his father. Uh, and his father's telling him to do things that he doesn't need to be told <laughs> told to do. Like, they just right. don't need to happen. But um, but the son the son has that ability, and he's our hero, right? Um, and, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, in yes. A, I yeah, in the... a very in a very you know, if this were an American film, <laughs> uh, the the sort of karmic death of the father. Then, but in this film, it doesn't feel like a karmic death. It doesn't feel like the father has to die uh, because of you know his failures, right? No, uh, no. And then I I think it is more just to like clear the clear the way right kind of almost of as far as the movie's yeah. concerned like um now the now the sun takes over kind of thing right yeah and um, also i mean the movie ends within three minutes of the father dying, right well exactly so, like, yeah not exactly yeah, a lot like, of time to dwell here no no yeah no not at all but like the thing about it is is that like it really feels like yeah i, I don't know it the father's death is clears away, but it also seems to um, cement the like it viewed from sort of the slightly subversive perspective that um, that that we're trying to view it from, right? It cements the idea that this 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 system only ends in death, right? Like, and like you know, bear in mind this is nineteen forty two. We're we're in like the, at this point, this is no longer the 1936 type of movie, right? Where we're talking about like, well, it's that like, it's Japan's war of expansion, where yeah. like it's just sort of like, well, we can just take over whatever the fuck we want and just make it our place now, right? Now it's in it's in full. Well, now we're people are trying to literally actively push us back from that position, right? Um. And and then so rhetoric ticks up, but also the idea that there are like more and more a thing that Ozu talks about a lot. There are more and more family members just not ever coming home, right? Uh, that a thing that like Ozu spends a lot of time in the rest of his career talking about, right? Like, yeah. I mean, he talks about it here too with like people are already missing, right? And even in earlier movies. He talks about it, but like, it seems to be he's to a certain extent upping his rhetoric that we yeah. uh, that is sort of in the background, which is like, this, these people aren't coming back. There is no yeah. second chance with these people. Like, you know, because the dad keeps is, talking about we have plenty of time. Right. It is very important to point out that the version of this movie we see, and the only version anyone will see, uh, after 1946 um, is one that has been edited by American censor boards. Right. The, the, um, the, uh, I can't remember what the actual term is, but the occupying, the occupying government puts in place the censor boards that we've talked about previously with other films in the post-war period, including other Ozu films in the post-war period. Um, so there's, multiple minutes i think something like 20 minutes of this film have been cut and it's hard to know what was cut and when you know there's some there's some notes to suggest when what scenes were cut more than others for right. instance uh the tony rains essay that accompanies the criterion release says that uh particularly 
the school reunion scene was heavily edited. Uh, which Range uses to suggest that probably there were moments within that school reunion scene where the students talked about fighting, about being in the war. Right. Beyond what was cut, this is one of the most overt references to the war we get out of any Ozu movie we've right. seen as well. <clears throat> we have that bit in Tokyo Story where uh, Noriko's husband, um, the family's son, uh, had is missing and presumed dead in in the war. Right. Uh, and that's directly post-war. Uh, and then this, we have a reference to passing the physical for the draft, uh, and then that's about it. Uh, that right, hangs right. over the ending of the film, perhaps, because we have... You know, we have the knowledge to see this guy's going to be drafted again, <laughs> historically, right? Um, right, I mean, we have the knowledge, but so does the Japanese audience. We know that, like, passing right, right. The, the, the exam for the draft means you're in the army. You're That's where right. he's going. Like, he, there's zero right, doubt right. about where he's going to end up. Right. So, you know, so that's, it's overt there. Uh, but it might have been more overt in the original cut of this movie. Well, I guess. and that's the interesting thing, right? Is that my ex- our experience? We have this, and lots of commentators on sort of Japanese film and post-war period have commented on the fact that like um, there's no guarantee about exactly what the content that would have been cut is either. Right. right. The Americans' desire to sort of reestablish what essentially was already the ultra-nationalistic parties of Japan post-war in an effort to use them as a bulwark against communism meant that, like, they were just as likely to cut sort of anti-war sentiments as they were to cut pro-war sentiments right. from their, from movies by Japanese right. directors because, like, they they regularly cut things that they thought would make the Japanese ruling party look bad. Yeah. Especially since a lot of those people were just going to step right back into position. Had already been stepped like put yeah. right back into positions now, of power of course uh the fact that this was released and well liked within japan in 1942 means that that's not what the americans cut out of i know movie. i know i know that, that definitely just, wasn't in the movie no no yes. it's it's worth noting it's just a worth noting thing that 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 right. itself is not indicative of any useful information we yeah. can assume that it's just but like what i mean is is the the what i do mean though about it is that the al the allied um censorship board post-war would regularly cut references to people dying in the war seeing as a negative like you know what i mean like they might talk about people in their group that died in the war which would not necessarily have been seen as a negative thing by japanese people at the time watching it as a propaganda film because that's a thing everybody knew was happening it wasn't like people were it wasn't like the japanese government was the fighting like that was considered an of like supposed to be considered an honorable and good thing to have done right right so like the japanese the japanese censors wouldn't necessarily cut mentions of that happening they might they would obviously like prevent things that would like said negative things about the japanese war effort but they wouldn't necessarily cut the idea of losses or like, oh yeah, so and so died, you know, somewhere or something like. But the allies would, the allies would have, you know what I mean? That's the sort of thing the allies would have saying it made the, you know, it painted the the ruling party in a bad light or whatever, right? Like they, because we know that because we've seen other movies where they did that. 
Right. Like that's a thing we've we've read has happened, right? Like where like directors who survived and talked about it talked about having specifically scenes where they talked about like so and so dying in the war getting cut from their films. Um so you you know what I mean? I, I we don't it's fair it's safe to assume that it is it is talk of the war. Um but it, you know, some of it might be talking about what they did during the war and some of it might be talking about people who aren't there because certainly in a lineup of every single classmate, some of them, we hear about two students who are gone, but mm, who knows, you know? Well, yeah. Uh, the two they explicitly say are gone, they also give reasons. Right. You know, they're well, exactly. that's what, They're just not there. Right? That That's what I mean. That yeah. feels, to me that feels like maybe, it feels a little iffy as though something's missing. <laughs> but, right. Like but, there was a like, balance. Like, yeah. Like, those two are introduced as well. These two we were expecting to be here, but they're not. It feels like it is a segue to, and these are the folks that will what? never be here. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, and the the bit where our teachers are asking the students to raise their hand about their families, you know, feels like it could also be raise your hand if if you were in the war or if this is yeah, true exactly. about your work That's life, exactly what know? I'm getting. Yeah. That sort of, there's yeah. certainly that seems certainly has references to the war right. that are not there because again, it, that was not, that would not have been considered by the Imperial government to be a right. Absolutely. Negative thing. Yeah. And in fact, you know, if there was a scene there that showed these what, you know, 20, 20 or so students, uh, and the teachers say, oh, well, who of you, which of you have uh, been drafted and fought already? And they all raise their hands as well. You know, that's, look at all these people who, who gladly went to war and have come back and are better for it, right? Right. Well, exactly. Yeah, that just, that, that, yeah. that just furthers your cause. There's no reason to not have that in there. Right. But there's certainly a reason why the Allied government would not want that in there, right? Right. 100%. So, yeah. I can imagine that that is the sort of thing that would have happened in that scene that got cut. Yeah. Uh, but again... We don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll never know. There's... It's impossible to find out. Yeah. Uh, you know, Without I, Martin Scorsese's help. I have not done the research myself, but trusting that Reigns is accurate in his description of it, uh, even though we've had we've had qualms about Reigns' interpretation of things in the past. But right. uh, trusting, trusting Reigns' description of it, uh, we can know where things were cut, but not the content or reasons right, for, right. for those things to have been cut. Well, and that's a, that. The bear in mind that's always been a thing that we only ever get from directors who are in a position after the war to tell us what got cut from their movies, right? Right. right that's a, right. that is a that is a thing that is a thing we get sometimes, but not always, right? Like, and it's always got to be essentially from the horse's mouth, right? Because like, right. What's cut is never made explicit by like the the Allied government or anything like that. I wonder if that sort of thing is in that. Ozu diary he said never to never to publish <laughs> right uh yeah i wonder if it still exists somewhere anyway it doesn't matter we're not going to read it um this is still this is still visually a very ozu film um yeah yeah uh there's a lot of lingering shots i really love the uh the fly fishing scenes um and the way the way they're they're in sync uh, though in the in the first one they're in sync at first, and then the sun drops 
out. Like he doesn't he doesn't make the final cast as the father makes the right. final cast. Uh, and then as they're adults, they're totally in sync, which is again uh, possibly the most subtle <laughs> the most subtle uh, propaganda <laughs> in the movie. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, about them being totally in sync still. Uh, yeah. Um, I was. I know. Obviously, it's just it's an old film. It's a bad cut. It was made in the middle of a war. Uh-huh. Uh, I was surprised at how how low quality the audio is in our released version here. Uh, mostly because a lot of it's like background noise that feels like it should be easy to clean up. Uh, well, wh- when was this? When but, was this one released? Uh, our criterion release is 2010. Or 2000. Yeah, I mean, right. I think I think what a thing that may have poisoned no, our brains is that like yeah. we we live in a in a time period now that is very new but feels like it's been here forever, which is like That's right. where like now they can just take fucking anything out of anything. Right, right, right. That like is we fair. just cuz they fair. just make a bunch of computers figure out that shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I even mean, in 2010, maybe it wasn't that good. I don't mean algorithmically, like trying to drop this stuff out of the interference while people are talking. There are times where no one's talking; it just feels like they've set a microphone up in a windstorm. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, I agree. Well, but, and the thing about it is, is I think I I I am curious about that. I suspect that whoever decided how to do the preservation just said to themselves, "Well, yeah. it's better if we don't cut." I, like you could drop the audio to nothing there, but then that then right. there were if there was something there, it's gone now. Yeah, like, um, and sometimes there is something there. There's some really subtle things that if you listen very carefully right, right. and you know what you're looking for, you can hear background sounds like school chimes and things like that. Yes, that are barely audible under the noise, but they are there. Yeah. That is fair. Uh, and and I mention it not to not to complain about any sort of. Uh, uh, editing choice on Criterion's part, uh, but to say that I don't feel like in in other Ozu films we've watched the sound was this naturalistic. Everything here mm. sounds like there's sort of one microphone set up. Right, right. I know uh, what you mean. Yeah. I assume that is a a, a result of the war. <laughs> I I have to assume that. I assume that Ozu couldn't maybe couldn't get quite the the. The sort of like the exp- the yeah. sort of controlled environment that he's used to, uh, yeah. necessarily. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't think Ozu has ever been adamant on naturalistic sound in that way. No. Uh, so, yeah. Well, the um, thing that got me about it is, and I don't know if you feel this way or not. I feel like that what the most the thing that was shocking, most shocking to me in this movie is the way time was handled felt much more slapdash than Ozu usually is. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that's, that's much more slapdash compared to like really rigid and careful. Right. Uh, right. It, this movie, no matter how much I think about it, I mean, there's a lot of really thing, great things to recommend it. I will say that it feels to me like Ozu shooting on a, under the thumb of, of a group that is trying to make him get a film out right now. Right. Like, because, like, the pacing of the movie is, it's not, I don't know how to describe it. It's not pacing. It's just that, like, suddenly everything will change. 
in a way that normally Ozu would like ease us into. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, yeah, like Yohei becomes an adult fucking out of nowhere. Right, right. Like he is a child. And we're not getting any interstitial. We're giving no. Normally, I feel like Ozu would like put a picture of a school or something. You know, he would give us something to establish that we would derive some sort of secondary meaning from where like it would prepare us. But instead, yeah. we're just sort of dropped into massive time changes. This movie covers the course of like 15 fucking years, at least 10. And it does seem to not be able to make up its mind exactly how long that's been, depending on who's talking and when, which is confusing. Because uh, his students imply that it's been 10, but then elsewhere it's more implied that it's been like 15, and I'm confused by that uh, a little bit. But like the point is is that like we just suddenly discover his son is an adult. The movie gives right. us no setup for that. And Ozu wouldn't normally put that on like – wouldn't normally just like he's, – <laughs> he's not the kind of director who would be like, you know – 10 years later as an interstitial card or anything like that. But I feel like he would normally build up to that time change in a way that we would be, we would kind of foresee it coming with, with the only son. We, we definitely get uh, a cushion before we meet the son as an adult. Right. Like the mom would be talking about how much older their son is or something. Something. Ozu would put in some dialogue that lets us know, Oh, this is 10 years later. Yeah. But instead here, where I feel like maybe, and I assume it's budget and other things like that, right? Like, the dad doesn't really like, look like he's real. His hair changes color. That's about the only thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, he's got apparently no no real massive makeup <laughs> budget or anything like that. And it, and it just, I find that it feels more haphazard in that way than Ozu films, which are usually so strict and careful about everything. I don't expect Ozu to surprise me by a surprise like right. <laughs> reveal of the son being an adult now. Yeah, it doesn't slide us in in the same way. Um, yeah, and then the the second the second time jump is a little a little more clear in that the son comes back with a radically different facial and and head well, structure. Well, here's that here's a, well here here's yeah. the fun game about that. I couldn't tell that was the son anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. Um, so I had my yeah. own fun experience with that. Unreli- that was not Ozu's fault. That is no, my no, brain not your... working the right way fault. <laughs> right, but nonetheless. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um Yeah, and then I don't know. The the last three minutes of the movie could cover a, an incredibly indeterminate amount of time. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't actually know. We have no idea, and I find that to feel very unOzu like. Yeah, more often than not, in most of the Ozu films we watch, at least post war, Ozu's movies don't move in real time, but feel very close to real time. Like you'll jump days. But then the things that are happening on screen seem to take up the same amount of time those things would seem to take up in real life, if that makes sense. Right. Like, he'll jump like, oh, is, this is a few days later or whatever. But then you'll watch the things happen as they would happen. Whereas here at the end, right, like, we don't know, like, how much time passed between 
moment A and moment B is very unclear, right? Like, how long was the dad in the hospital? Right. We don't know. How long was it between his dad dying and him getting married? We don't know. How long, I mean, was that, like, the next day? Yeah. And we're really I mean, just getting... We don't know. Yeah, we're really just getting snapshots of those events. Right. Right. It's, it you know, borders funeral. on montage, almost. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Um, you know, funeral, time on the train, as they're established that they're married, and then cut to... Cut to a more static shot of the urn packaged and in the luggage rack of the train. And then what? Well, I think we cut out to the train pulling away. And then that's the end uh, of the movie. Yeah. It ends on a symbol that I didn't recognize that seemed to be not like a. Oh, that, that final card. I think that's like a symbol yeah. for the Imperial um, like film commission or something like that. Okay, that would be just sense. not. Enc- I I'd have to go look it up, but that's not a symbol yeah. we've encountered very often. But th- yeah. it looks like an like a it has a very similar design to like other official seals and stuff that I've seen before. So I suspect I assumed like, I assumed it was that or uh, maybe a symbol for the studio, but that it could that be. didn't seem right because I've never seen that. Uh, right. Well, see, that's the thing there. is like we right. have seen very, very few bordering on no current to oh, yeah. the war films in Japan. From yeah, Japan. this is this is the only concurrent war. Right. Film and so we I don't have enough experience. All. I so. assumed it was for the Imperial Film Commission or whatever they called it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was my Everything. assumption because it just has a bit of a um, Imperial seal kind of vibe going on. I could look it up, but like it'll take me time to figure that out to the point where like it would. I'm not going to do it mid podcast because it would take enough time that it would be like a waste of our time by the time I was done. Yeah, I think no, that's definitely fair. Don't do that. It's interesting his relationship to the censor board because we definitely feel in this movie that he's doing things that are out of the ordinary for Ozu that are definitely because, uh, He's he's yielding, whether through direct threat or actual fidelity to the cause. We can't say for certain. But he's yielding to the sort of movie that's going to be able to be released. Right. Uh, whereas, the with I think within two years, uh, Kurosawa's for first directorial uh, Sanchiro Sugata comes out in 1943 and the story is you know, the bonus feature mentions this and I looked a little more into it the story is that Ozu went to bat for that movie that right. everyone everyone on the censor board did not want that movie to be released and Ozu basically overturned their decision <laughs> it's like no this is a very good movie and it's going to come out <laughs> Uh, right. So you know he had he had that power to do that. Right, um, right, right. And yeah. the problem the problem the censor board had with with that first Kurosawa movie and and a, a very common thing that Japanese sources say about Kurosawa that it was too it was too American it was too British American, uh, in in feel in style in story right or yeah yeah that would be we we uh, and we even encounter that post-war where like people just will sometimes lay that as a criticism of kurosawa as just being too american of a director or too right. western of a director but yeah ozu ozu went to bat and said 
that it's uh, it was an important artistic achievement despite what other criticism might be laid at it um though also that still had 17 minutes cut from it but right of course uh, but of course you know even you gotta expect that with sensor boards that exist something's gotta get cut whatever it is um, right uh be it the americans or the japanese in charge uh but yeah so you know he's he's willing to push back i guess is what i mean to say by bringing up that story right well, and, so, and it seems to be like willing to push back specifically because, of, like, due to artistic, what he considers artistic merit or something to that effect, right? Right, right. Yeah. So it's just it's hard to get because Ozu's politics in general are sort of a black box. You know, we get we get hints, we get feelings. You know, yeah, we've got we've got some stuff that's more concrete than others. I suspect that diary would be very very useful to learning a lot yeah. of that kind of stuff. Like if somebody, yeah, but if we would actually read it. But we talked a little bit last week. What's what's actually available from his wartime diaries suggests that he was not exactly against the war. Um, no, it doesn't. And, and like, oh, okay, that is the that is the production company's logo. I just found it. Okay. Oh, cool. It Good just is know. a very very old school looking logo. Yeah, but that is the that production studio's logo. So All right, now we know. Cool. Well, thank you for doing that. Anyway, um, yeah, his diaries do not suggest he was exactly and against the war while he was fighting in it. No, but, and again, like you know, there there's comments about his like sort of he like apparently his diary contains information about sort of his experience with like the comfort women station and and yes, yes, and and we saw that with um no what's his name what's his name the um. The the really wild Suzuki? ass director Suzuki, yeah, Suzuki you're yeah. Of, yes. Uh, you know it, it's interesting. Like I, I suspect that he probably, like a lot of people, probably was fine with it in the early days, and then got yeah less and right. more and more disillusioned like we, with it as time went on, and that was like very we normal. About last week, like right when they were like winning we and everything seemed week. great, they were everybody seemed fine with it, right? Right. Like we talked about last week, when he's drafted the second time and sent to Singapore, he seems to be doing his best to not to not be involved in any fighting whatsoever. Right. And and from what we've read about his time in Singapore, basically treats it like a vacation. Watches a bunch right, of movies, yeah. drinks a bunch of cocktails on the beach, uh, and enjoys his time out of Japan. Right. Uh, and, and it- Right, and it's worth noting that like that response to the war tracks with like sort of just general Japanese sentiment as a whole. Right, like we see a lot of that in the post-war period. Right, like a lot of movies and art in the post-war yeah. period are really sort of looking back, sort of hindsight twenty twenty style on the idea that like right. oh, well this probably wasn't a good idea right from the beginning. Uh, well, and that... of course, I, that 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 does not take into account people who were staunchly anti-war right from the beginning there were yeah. plenty of dissenters in japan right. from very early days of the imperial regime it, like but like that the mass majority of people seemed to grow more and more disillusioned with it until we get to the end of the war and the post-war period where everybody sort of goes like well yeah i mean like by the time it was over we all were fucking sick of it and we should have never done it in the first place yeah. right right where where that enters into this movie though is this is a movie Ozu made in 42. So right. what are his feelings 
in that well, moment. Well, and, and that would be pre... That would still be pre everybody being real sick of this shit, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, people didn't really get sick of it until the Pacific War, right? And that's well, in nineteen forty-two is the start of the Pacific War. Uh, would have started before that, but but bear in mind, it was still a Pacific War that the Japanese were by and large seemingly right. winning in nineteen forty-two. Right. Um, I mean, like I'm not an expert on this stuff, so but that but my cursory glance at Japanese war history has led me to believe that probably most people would have been thought, well, we're still basically winning, right? Like Yeah. Um you know. Right. Yeah, I wonder what the what the production schedule of this would have been. It came out in April of forty two. So we are, you know, four months, four and a half months into America Pacific, entering the yeah. Pacific yeah. War. Right. And and, <laughs> and again, seemingly at this time, Japan mostly winning that Right, that right. exchange, right? There. Yeah, um, and so I'm I'm sure people weren't yet that sick of it. I mean, so, but I think, but not him not being anti-war doesn't change the fact that like you you get the impression from Oz's work throughout his life of a very deep empathy for people's for families, right? Like that's yes. his thing, and and I think a movie can still be fundamentally pro-war. But also sort of tacitly acknowledging the fact that like this sucks for families. Like this is not Right. Like there again, we talked about it at the beginning, but there's a reason why Fumiko is crying at the end. And it's right. not just because like we see that Ryohei wants to cry. He's right. not because he's a good boy who does what he's supposed to do, right? He's he above yes. all else follows the rules of this of this society, but like he wants to. Um, and he is chastised for for sort of even cons- even like being about to right, right. But it doesn't change the fact that like she gets to express a feeling he doesn't, but he feels, and we know he feels it, and we know she feels it, and we can recognize that that like that is a a very 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 gentle. And not indictment, but reminder that like this costs something, right? And I mean, and Ozu would have experienced some of that cost, right? Like personally, right? Yeah, drafted. He was drafted in the war. He went to, you know, the front. Like he didn't. I I don't know exactly what his experience like that was there, but like, presumably, he was familiar with the cost of this. Absolutely, as you know, every you know, look at look at the human condition. You know, we've seen other right. other film directors go through similar experience to Ozu, right? And and we know we know more about their experience. Ozu just you know is not very public about, it. and it doesn't it doesn't inform his work in an overt way. Right, his as, movies are so never about yeah. the war. Right. They're they're not they're very clearly often about the losses of the war. Right after the war and the impact. But they're of not, the war. Uh, and even this is <clears throat> and to a certain is right. I would argue this is to a certain extent in a roundabout way about that as well, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it's not the, as clear as it is post-war where it's like, well, yeah, no, so-and-so is gone. We do, He's dead or presumed dead. And we all know why, right? The whole audience, everybody in the audience knows why. Um, here, you can start really drawing analogies for, like, stand-ins, right? Like, Nohei loses his father because because of the war. 
in right. a very roundabout way. Uh, and, and it's very easy to make that analogy for people lost to the war more directly. Yeah. And, you know, obviously Ozu is, is interested and has experience with uh, alienation and loss of family relationships outside of the war. Right, uh, right. Because pre-war of the economic well. conditions pre-war. Right. Well, and, and, and your... yeah, exactly. And it's easy to understand how he could start pretty easily as a person making those connections, right? Like drawing a, a parallel between his experiences in younger part of his life with like what's going on to families now during the war, right? Like right. that's not, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a hard set of analogies to very quickly draw up in your mind, right? But yeah, no, I would never go as far as to say that like, He's not he's not one of those directors that is like cov- covertly making anti-war films under the guise of propaganda films for like right, it's not right. like that. I you know at the beginning I but made reference to that in the way that like the ending kind of points to an idea of like the film being good enough and getting what they wanted accomplished good enough that the f- the censorship board would have just sort of not look too hard at the last like three minutes yeah and draw and maybe like avoid like willfully blind eye to drawing parallels there that they maybe would have otherwise yeah he's also not uh he's not one of the directors who spent 1946 to 1970 (laughs) unpacking the war and and their personal (laughs) their personal interactions with it um, well, and I and I think to a certain extent, um, that's because Ozu more than a lot of other directors, despite feeling, I I will always sort of say that like I think Ozu's work is beautiful and wonderful, but it also always feels a little bit uptight, right? Um, yeah, it's not a bad thing. I'm not. It's not a negative comment, but it he has a certain sort of um, tightness to him and his work that 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 reads almost as being sort of. Uh, could in in another situation another time could be read kind of negatively right um yeah but my my point is is that like he in all of that is also obsessed with the here and now in a really significant way like every movie he makes is about what's happening right fucking now like with with very little eye turned it seems like towards the past some right. I turn towards the future. I turn towards the past because it, the movies have people who experience that past and might long for that past. But like every movie he's making is about the year that the movie came out, basically. Basically, you know what yeah. I mean. With the exception of the thirteen-year time jump, so that the you know the the right, establishment but even that of, doesn't, and that's of, part of what makes it so disjointed because both times feel like now. Right. Right. Like yes. he doesn't he's not making a period piece or something at the beginning. It's just Yeah. You can't tell by looking at the scenery or anything that it's a different time and, and place, right? Uh that it's thirteen years different. That's part of where the shot comes from, right? Right. Is you're like Yeah. Oh, I well, thought I that also, was nineteen forty two. Right. Now I'm I mean, also mean this is also nineteen forty two. Yeah. I also mean in last week where we could jump from nineteen twenty three to nineteen thirty seven. Right. Right. Uh, or 1936. And it's. Uh, but know, all it's, those exist as set up. It's established, but it also doesn't feel. No, like that, that one's a change. little bit better in that, like, he clearly had a little bit more budget or at least more time. 
that one does <laughs> slightly feel like further in the past. Yeah, <laughs> like there's a there are some no, like mo, like subtle changes to the environment in terms of like right. what like for example like what to, you know if you went back and looked I think you probably and spent more time on it, I think you probably noticed like some differences in like uh in like what well, kind of lamps are being used and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the uh the only son is also more interested in establishing the dif- differences in political economy. Right, uh, right, yeah. Between its between its beginning and its, its which would also you know, which would also bulk. make it impossible to tell because like if if everybody's getting more and more impoverished, right? Like what right. luxuries they do or not do not have would be kind of hard to parse against each other. Yeah. Um but like my 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 point is is that both in both cases even more so in last week's movie uh the the time jump operates just in service of establishing the here and now right absolutely yes it, which which goes still goes to the idea that like the most pressing issue for ozu seems to always be what is happening in japan to families here and now right right um and that's just as true here right like he's that is and what think, he is concerned about i think that's why we see multiple examples of ozu remaking older films right is that he he reestablishes that same sort of plot in a new era in a right new he wants to now. tell the same story but now hey yeah. what is that story like in the here and now right I, I suspect if Ozu had lived a much, much longer time, we would have just seen him keep doing that. Right. Very like, very obviously, the desires of the children in Good Morning are different to the desires of the children in I Was Born But, right? Because they right, they but, want a television, for instance, in the right, latter movie. But the thing about it is is that he what he is doing is trying to identify universal truths about right. children right. and about families, right? That like Absolutely. A yeah. lot of things are different. Like what they want is different, but but like the essence of what they want is not different. Right. Yes. Right. Like th- these kids want a base. These kids want a like a TV. These kids want a baseball bat or a baseball glove. These kids, but they're still kids, and so they want things, and their parents want to provide those things for them, whether or not it's actually feasible or not. Right. Right. Uh, but right. they also, you know, the parents have various wants as well, and and and. You know, I guess yeah, he's interested in in assessing like what that looks like in each sort of time period and, and each sort of like new new world that he finds himself in, right? Um and I think that, that to a certain extent dissuades him from wanting to look back at like the war, right? Because like no, he made the movies during the war about this topic already, right? Some of them. But like now it's time to make movies about this topic now after the war right like i you know right and the the looking back on the war would be the same kind of looking back on the war that families post-war would be doing right like we see unhappy in many of his movies post-war we see people who are clearly unhappy because of what happened during the war right like we see it's it's ripples through their lives but like just like anybody else they don't spend every day of every moment of every day talking about the war they all lived it and they all experienced it and so they're all they all share it as an experience together that sort of as a is a background static to everything they're doing right and that's true here too right the the war is background static to their lives it exists but 
you know, yeah. and they talk about it when it's appropriate to talk about it, but you don't talk about it all the time, which is probably what makes this such a probably probably to a certain extent what made this so appealing to the Japanese censorship board in the sense that like movies that talk about the war way too much kind of all suck, right? Right. Right. They're not fun. Right. They're not good movies because they're so invested in being propaganda for the war that they stop being good movies. Yes. And nobody wants to watch them. Whereas this something think, like this, you could actually probably get people to show up like w- because they right. want to watch it rather than they feel obligated to watch it. I can't remember if it was the Reigns essay or something the, the, the duo says in the bonus feature or uh, or something I read elsewhere. But essentially that was the Japanese <laughs> Uh, right, yeah, yeah. Film yeah. establishment's reaction to this movie was, uh, no, it's great because it because it's subtle, right? Because it's not right. It's not hitting you over the head. Um, the movie I thought about the most actually while watching this was Twenty Four Eyes. Yeah, I thought uh, about that a lot too. <laughs> um, which seems almost, in many ways, an answer to this movie. Uh, yeah, thirteen years yeah. later, uh, or twelve years later, um. 24 Eyes obviously doing very different things, but it, it deals with, you know, extended time Well, it time deals periods. with the idea of what it the role of with... a teacher is in the, in this yeah. environment, right? Right. And and, and being a, a female teacher and, uh, you know, dealing with tragedy within your class and not giving up is something that comes right. up in 24 Eyes too, right? Um, you know, personal tragedy more than more than actual her students. I think in Twenty Four Eyes, if I can remember correctly. But I mean, her but yeah. she does more in the loss of students in that movie. Like students right. die. She does. Yeah. I mean, it is it is both it is both kinds of tragedy. The movie students. very purposely doesn't draw a line between those two. It it, it identifies right. those as all just she, tragedies. Yeah. She mourns the male students marching off to war. She mourns the. Uh, female students who are economically forced into situations that they don't deserve and, and wouldn't wouldn't apart from the war would not be forced into. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, and, and, and that is a movie dealing with the idea of what is the, the role and, and, and purpose of a teacher, right? Like this movie right. tries to, this movie talks about that in a very, the most sort of, the most pro-war thing that this movie does in many ways is is the father's speeches about his role as a teacher. Right. Which is very, very, and, you know, of course, censorship board and all that, and, like, maybe even Ozu's idea at the time, right? Because it's very, it's very right. neo-Confucianist um, um, sort of idea of a teacher and stuff. But, like, his obligation to his students is to make them into good, in many ways is to make them into good, good soldiers for the empire right right like that's good and good and, citizens and, and in that right well yes soldiers. exactly yes yeah. and that, that and that is that has long been and continues to be identified as like the primary role of a, of a teacher in japan is making them good citizens right. which is what that means at any given time morphs and changes uh 24 eyes while still fairly early takes a much more modernist idea of like what being a teacher is all about right right um and 24 Eyes comes out in an atmosphere where it can be. Well, absolutely, that, yeah. Right? And so we, we can't compare them apples to apples because, like, 24 Eyes, if you somehow got it made, would get you shot. 
right, right, right. In 1942, yes. like in 19 if somehow you were able certainly. to produce it through some sort of means of magic, the first thing that would happen is your ass would end up getting shot. We have right. plenty of evidence because there were plenty of there were multiple resistance and uh, dissidence movements in Japan, th- even throughout the war. Not towards the end because most of them had already been all killed. Um, but like right. people who published underground newspapers and stuff, there was only one real result for that. They, they, there's no other real outcome uh, yeah. that exists. Um, so, yeah. you know. And since uh, Kinoshita, the director of Twenty Four Eyes, also also fought in the Sino-Japanese War, was was drafted in 1940, uh, but wasn't there for very long. He got injured and sent home fairly quickly. Um, so, you know, he's got he's got a different war experience. He's he's right. he certainly you know, didn't get drafted not, a second time. Right, and if he's not drafted until 1940, and then home by 1941, uh. He's got a very intimate uh, view of the war at home, right? Right, right. Uh, and I sort of that really shift in people's in. perceptions yeah. of it and, and things like that, yeah, right? <laughs> really does feed like, into 24 Eyes very directly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I just, you know, it's another movie about the war, uh, you know, war period and, and teacher, and it's very different. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I mean, it. it I, I, I was thinking about it a lot. Uh, there were a couple other movies I was thinking about, and then I could never really place them. Like, I just like scenes that reminded me of other things, um, not just mm-hmm. Ozu stuff, but like you know, I could never really, while I was watching, put a finger on it. Um, what I will say is that like you can really see what's when I watch these old Ozu films. It's really neat, uh, interesting to see how much. Even even in like these sort of crunch times that are like pretty bad for making movies and stuff, how much like certain things he just really loves to do just keep showing up. Like when he shows a a cut through of multiple rooms through the th- through the right. screens, the hospital like scene, three or four where rooms deep. Yeah, yeah. Where we where we sort of zoom down the people lined yeah. up in the hallway in yeah. the hospital, and then and then we've got the the face of our father just the tiniest little sliver of it in the corner of the screen as we come to him yeah it's very good yeah i mean and Uh, and it's so like in my head i'm like well here's here's ozu back on his shit right of course this is like when the shit was still new right right? like to a certain extent right like i i joke but like you know it's just it's interesting it's like oh yeah all right well yeah this is ozu right here i you know, a few weeks ago we talked about Red Desert, and I think, uh, obviously in very different ways, but out of all the directors we've experienced, Antonioni and Ozu are both just pure aestheticists. They're just right. they're just interested in the aesthetics of the movie so much more than than nearly anything else. Um, right. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, w- uh, you know, maybe it's because I don't like Antonioni very much, but oh, like at I least don't. Ozu has a, what, what feels like <laughs> right. an actual thing going on, right? right. Other Listen, than Ozu, that, Ozu still understands that that uh, those aesthetics need to hang on something, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Uh, Antonioni's yeah. less good at in my, at least for me. Um, yeah, in our estimation, yeah. you know, other yeah. people might disagree, but but yes, I I. They both are very aesthetics obsessed, um, and yeah, it shows up. It, it is it's fascinating to see that show up 
in a movie where very clearly he was fighting against, if nothing else, is fighting against probably a lot of like physical constraints in terms of like what right. he had the money and time to do. Because you can certainly feel that like he's trying to generate those styles, but like I don't know, everything about it still feels like boy, you can really tell this was made during the war, and not just because of like the politics of it, but because of like what seems to apparently be the resources Ozu had available to him. Right. Right. Yeah. It just it it just it feels like boy, like he if he had more money and more time, he probably would not have done it this way. Right. Because this doesn't look as good as the way he usually does it. And that includes the one but the one we watched last week. Like bear in mind that like that's not exclusively a post war thing. Like very clearly in Only Son he had more time and money. Yes. And so it feels slightly better put together. Right. Yeah, and and it's interesting in the Only Son because we know stuff about the production of the Only Son that they yeah, the studio was basically mad at him and sent him to a half demolished sound stage. Right, to right. Make the movie. Right? But it and seems like it's do. mostly about time more than anything else, yeah. right? Like the uh, well, yeah, right. that 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 studio's that set is demolished, but I had the time to fix it kind of thing, right? Right. Right. And make it make it work out. Whereas here, yeah, I'm sure it's yeah, a lack of resources in making movies during the war. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see the other one he made at this time. Right. Um, yeah. Just to, you know, be able to compare it. Because um, it did, it did come out, I think, slightly before this, uh, Brothers and Sisters of the Toto Family. Right. From what we've read about Brothers and Sisters of the Toto Family, which is, I mean, just Wikipedia plot synopsis, it seems much more, much more like the sort of movies Ozu was making post-war, you know, right? About, uh, about families more than. I mean, than it this. is it is one that I would like to watch. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's it, right? I'm very like everything I hear about it. Every time somebody describes it, I get more curious about it. Right. Um. I, I it's, I mean, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Well, it's not in the Criterion Collection right now, but exactly. I believe, so I don't know. If I believe that's ever someday a thing you'll be able to. That makes me wonder why it's not, because that feels like it would have been completely in the Criterion Collection's wheelhouse. Yeah. Wheelhouse. So, like, what's happening here? That that's like the one Ozu movie they don't seem to have access to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was uh, Criterion Collection has not released his entire oeuvre. I know. I well, that's uh, like, so. I don't know if Ozu is one of the ones where that's actually impossible or not, but yeah. he might be. I don't. I've never actually looked uh, at this full catalog. Is he? I, I've. Oh yeah, no, he is one of those ones where that would actually like fucking bankrupt the Criterion Collection. <laughs> right, right. There are. He, he did a lot of movies. <laughs> the next four hundred spine numbers are uh, all Ozu. BFI uh, put out Brothers and Sisters on uh, on a double disc with Tokyo Story. Uh, which that, I, 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 that seems like it does seem like something I would want to watch. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. It... No, you should be able to find it. Maybe I, I should. I should. I should make time to do it. Yeah. Now, like that, I say that knowing full well that I don't make time to watch anything. All right. It is not. We have no this. time. There is just this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's just. It's an interesting movie. Uh, it's interesting to see Ozu in this period 
Um, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's really just interesting to see any Japanese movie whatsoever from this. Well, period, I think right? I think that's I mean, like not to like downplay Ozu's work here because again, this is it is interesting in many ways because it's Ozu's work, right? Like I right, like it right right because yes. of that. But also, I agree. We have never seen anything concurrent to the war, yeah. and that seem and I wonder, if, you know, that's probably in many ways connected to like what happened after the war and everything like that. I don't know. I would. I imagine that there's probably not a fuck ton of movies available that are concurrent with the war that you can just watch. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, but I bet there's a noticeable dip in quantity um, when you get to that that time period. But oh man, I would. It is. It is interesting to see because it's not a thing I've ever experienced, and it it was very. It was both very insightful in the sense that like it really gave me a window into something I didn't had never experienced and didn't know much about uh other than like reading about it um but then again i don't know how at the same time i'm guessing that ozu's work is not exactly um indicative of the whole of a film at the time so it's probably not necessarily the best example for like getting an understanding of what film was like during the time if that makes sense yeah yeah I'm thumbing I'm thumbing through the the big list of Criterion movies and the vast majority of things that came out in 42 and 43 are either French, British or American. Uh Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, yeah, that, you know, that's that's to be both expected, but it's also and it, and in some extent, right? Like I I don't really want to watch a bunch of Nazi propaganda films. Oh, certainly no, no. I don't need movies from and, Germany from 1942 well, and 1943. And, and, and Japanese and, films from the time are also right, going to be very right. Of that They're not going to be that different. for the most right. part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Ozu one is probably an exception in many many ways, right? And so, right. But at the same time, I get curious because I was like, well, is anybody else making any sort of interesting art during this time? Is is, is an interesting yeah. thing to like think about? Yeah, and yeah, I think artistically, this is still very interesting. It's still very Ozu. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad to have seen it. Um, I wonder why, I think I mentioned this last week, um, why Criterion chooses these two as opposed to the film. Because he did have one more film release between The Only Son and Being Drafted. And he had one film released before, uh, between getting back from China and releasing this one. Brothers and sisters of the total right. family there. Uh so I wonder why why the choice obviously timing wise, why the choice? But I think I think we can answer that question by looking at the the parallels within the movies. Yeah, there's, I think the know, que- there's the a reason to mostly, yeah. To pair them together in that manner. So Right. Yeah. I think yeah, I mean uh, they they have despite being very different movies, they have a very similar theme that I think they right. they he, they want to carry off and I, I I think it's a good choice I think as we said like I don't know that like two film two 90 minute films make a box set but whatever right and again I'm I'm glad for the sake of of how we have chosen to go through the Criterion Collection I'm glad they are separate spine numbers in that we get to talk about them discreetly uh, right more than we would otherwise so yeah well I think we can probably pull this one to a close um We've been talking about 
There Was a Father from 1942, directed by Ozu, which finishes up our two films by Yasuhiro Ozu box set. Next week, we'll be jumping back to the 21st century called The Secret of the Grain from 2007, directed by Abdel Atif. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criteria. I'm, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Ovitari Dork. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.